as Gloria was was praying, it, it struck it struck me that it's like this part of the of this time of year when it's starting to get into March, and we're like, okay, we've had our snow, we've had our fun. Come on, spring. Come on, birds. Come on, summer. You know, wildflowers and hiking trips and backpacking trips and camping trips and get me out and get me outside. Get me out in the sun. You know. And it's just like this, this yearning. It's, it's like this, it's winter, um, but, but not Christmas anymore. It's like, oh, great, the snow is coming. Christmas is coming. And now it's the snow. It's like the, oh my gosh, just stop. Just go away. <laughs> and so, but it's like this, it's always, always winter, but, but never Christmas. And it reminds me of, of the, the story of Narnia. So I've been reading The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe to my kids. And we got to this section where the kids are sitting with the beaver, uh, with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And it, this, this, man, this, this scene always moves me. I always, I always start weeping. I'm a, I'm a weeper. I'm a weeper. Um, <laughs> whenever something moves me, I, I, I tend to be the more emotional one. Well, um, but, uh, and so I just, I just, I read this section and I almost started weeping as I was reading it to Jackson. And, and just to see the look on Jackson's face when I started talking about Aslan. Now, if you don't know much about Narnia, so it's, it's basically, it's C.S. Lewis, this great theologian, uh, narrating the story of Jesus. And, and Aslan, the character of Aslan, is Jesus. He later says in another book, he said, I exist in your world, but you must learn me by, know me by, by that name. You must learn that name for me. And of course, we know that name as Jesus. And so as, we, as I read this, this section, Think about what this, what, how, what is the emotional stirrings in your heart? Um, uh, let's see here. It's no good, son of Adam, said Mr. Beaver. No good you're trying of all people, but now that Aslan is on the move. Oh yes, tell us about Aslan, said several voices at once. For once again, that strange feeling, like the first signs of spring, like good news had come over them. Who is Aslan? said Susan. Aslan, said Mr. Beaver. Why, don't you know? He's the king. He's the lord of the whole wood, I tell you. And not often here, you understand. Never in my time or my father's time. But the word has reached us that he has come back. And he is in Narnia at this moment. He'll settle the white queen all right. It is he, not you, that will save Mr. Tumnus. Uh, won't she turn him into stone too, said Edmund. <laughs> Lord love you, son of Adam. What a simple thing to say, said Mr. Beaver with a great laugh. Turn him into stone. If she can stand on her two feet and look him in the face, it'll be the most she can do and more than I expect of her. <laughs> no, no. He'll put all to rights as it says in the old rhyme in these parts. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. You'll understand when you see him. But, but shall we see him? Asked Susan. Why, daughter of Eve, that's why I brought you here for. I'm to lead you to where you shall meet him, said Mr. Beaver. Is, is he a man? Asked Lucy. Uh, Lucy. Is that a man? Said, said Mr. Beaver. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the great son of the emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who, he, who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. 
Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. <laughs> that you will, dearie. And no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just plain silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mr. Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I'm longing to see him, said Peter, even if I do feel frightened when, he, when it comes to that point. And I love this, this question and this, this dialogue with the children and Mr. Beaver about Jesus. Is Jesus safe? Of course Jesus isn't safe, but he's good. And the, the question like for the kids, so the kids, have, this is their first time in, in Narnia, this other, other world basically, and they, don't, they, don't have, they have no perception about what's going on. They had no idea who the White Witch was or who Aslan was. And so they're asking this, these questions like, they didn't even know that Aslan was a lion. And uh, so they're, they're asking these questions and, and believing and hoping. Um, you know, and basically that, you know, because they're hoping to, to, to rescue this, this uh, fawn called Tumnus. And the questions are, you know, is Aslan real? Is Aslan really true? Is there truly hope to save? Because right after this, Edmund, who had already met the White Witch, goes and he leaves and he betrays them. And so they kind of, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver kind of put him off for lost. And the only one who will be able to save their brother is Aslan. And so there, there's that question. Now, not only you know, do we feel bad for this fawn that we've kind of caused to be in trouble, but now our very brother is in danger. And during all this pandemic, I think we can understand that. Like our worry for our loved ones, our worry, our worry and anxiety for ourselves. This, this desire to be safe, this desire to be healthy, this desire to also at the same time live a normal life, try to live in a relationship. Like on Wednesday, I went out to, to Billings for my pastor's meeting. And so the, you know, the face mask mandate, of course, is lifted for the state. But even so Yellowstone, their health department has, has rescinded it for them. So many more places are going mask-free. And so it was so, it was crazy how refreshing it was to see a stranger with their face uncovered greeting me at the window. And like, you know, at, the, at that Krispy Kreme, it's like everyone's like super happy. It's like they're on speed or something. It's so, they're so happy all the time when I go up there. Um, and I was, I was like, I just told the, the, the lady, I was like, it is so lovely to see your face, to feel that, sense, that, that closer sense of normalcy, right? And so oftentimes during these, these times in our life, our, these circumstances, these difficulties, we can have that question, is God really truly real? Is, does he really truly have the power to save? Is there truly hope? Is there truly hope? Oh, there's a Life can feel lonely and overwhelming. It can. Is there truly, you know, asking questions like, is there really an afterlife? Even for us seasoned Christians, we can still ask that question all the time. Like, is there really heaven? Is there really eternal life in God's kingdom? In, you know, with God at the end? And if so, 
then I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to worry. I don't have to have anxiety about the daily things because A, he's promised that he'll provide all these things if I seek his kingdom first and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and these daily anxieties mean nothing. That was the whole concept of, of Cody's sermon last, last week, last, you know, last Sunday night. Talking about anxieties. And thinking about what, you know, what causes all these anxieties. Like why do we have these, these worries? Why do we have these anxieties? Why do we have the, the worries and the, the, that cause us to question God and his righteousness? Question God's holiness. Question God's, and not just question, but like to doubt. Like why do we doubt God's goodness? Why do we doubt that there's hope? Because we have a real enemy who causes fear, who causes doubt, who causes shame, who causes fear. And so this is the reality. And that enemy, Satan, has no compassion. He has no mercy. Like the white witch in Narnia. She has no compassion. She has no mercy. She just wants her will to be done. She just wants herself to be taken care of. She just wants to be self-seeking, selfish, self-focused. And that is our enemy here. He wants you to despair and die. He wants you to, to not flourish. He wants your life to be in the depths. He wants you addicted to drugs. He wants you addicted to alcohol. He wants you addicted to comforts. He wants you addicted to yourself. He wants you addicted to anything else besides the love of Jesus because he hates you. Satan hates you. Not just because you're a Christian, but because you're a human. You are the, the pinnacle of God's creation. He made you in his image. And how does Satan, and, and, and Satan hates God. And so how does Satan at, uh, you know, attack God? By attacking that which God loves. And God loves you. There's a, a love that God has for you because you are created in God's image. And because you are created in God's image, that puts a target on your back for the enemy of God. He wants to destroy your life. He wants you to, to as the white witch would later say, as, he's, as she's killing Aslan, as he's sacrificing himself to save Edmund, despair and die. That is the enemy's goal for your life. So the question in, in reality, will, is will the stand stay up? So the question that we, that we need to ask ourselves is if we truly believe, like, is the spiritual realm real? And what power do we have to engage in it? What power do we have against this true enemy that we can't see? This invisible enemy in the spiritual realm known as Satan and demons. Does demonic possession and oppression exist to, and to what extent should it affect my life spiritually and practically? This is why one of our, our values is being ready for spiritual warfare. Not just like being aware of it, but like having this like, okay, like I'm ready. Let's, let's, let's get you know, postured. It's a posture 
in your life. It's not just like saying, oh yeah, I know, I know it's there, I know it's real. It's cool, whatever. You know. But like being ready for it, like getting pushed, no, stick and move. Like you're ready for it because it's real. Because it's really wanting to trip you up. And here's the question. Could an unwillingness to deal with the spiritual reality of demons actually be hindering my ability to experience spiritual breakthrough and flourishing? Because without a keen awareness and readiness for the spiritual warfare, what, you know, and by that I mean, I'm not even going to think about it. I'm just going to think of everything as natural and, and everything that's happening in this world as natural and normal versus being aware of first and foremost and then being ready for the very real spiritual danger and battle that was going on. And in the midst of that, how can I remember that spring is coming? How can I battle against the powers and authorities and principalities in the unseen realm because spring is coming? Because God is victorious. To engage effectually in spiritual warfare, you have to first believe that there is a spiritual realm in which to engage. That there's a very real spiritual warfare, and we'll get to that here in a moment. So we need to think, like I said last week, tying in our time from last week, we need to think supernaturally about seemingly natural things. And we need to see the natural realm through the lens of spiritual reality. Because all the spiritual realm is real. And we have been given, and we have been given Jesus' authority to rule and reign as warriors in it. So Luke today, uh, we'll, like we'll see, if you if you will turn with me to Luke chapter um, chapter four. That this is Luke today. We you know is basically seeing that we that we see Jesus wielding this power. And what inspires him to do so? And this is the main point of our time this morning, is that compassion compels us to restoration. Whoop, mix those words up. Pa- compassion compels us to restoration because Jesus, as we'll see in our scripture passage today, Jesus' compassion compelled him to wield his power and authority to fulfill his ministry, deliverance, and healing. So Luke chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 31 and go through the end of the chapter here. Stand with me, if you will, to, and, and the way that we do, the reason why we do this, go ahead and stand with me uh, for the honoring of God's word. And the reason why we do this is because this sets aside that whatever I say, you know, my, my words are man's words. I pray the Holy Spirit would speak through me, but these are God's words. These words should compel us. These are the words that of eternal life. And so this is why we stand during these times. I just want to give clarity to this time. So Luke chapter four, verse 31. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. They were astonished at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man with an unclean demonic spirit who cried out with a loud voice, leave us alone. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, Be silent and come out of him. And throwing him down before them, the demon came out of him without hurting him at all. Amazement came over them all. And they were saying to one another, 
what is this message? For he commands the unclean spirits with authority and power, and they come out. And news about him began to go out to every place in the vicinity. After he left the synagogue, he entered Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him about her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. He got up immediately, and, be- and she got up immediately and began to serve them. When the sun was setting, all those who had anyone sick with various diseases brought them to him. As he laid his hands on each one of them, he healed them. Also, demons were kind of out, coming out of many, shouting and saying, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the, he was the Messiah. When it was day, he went out and made his way to a deserted place. But the crowds were searching for him. They came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, It is necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in, this, in the synagogues of Judea. Jesus, we thank you so much for this time together. We pray that you would open up your words that we can understand and let us see that we may perceive. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, as we walk through this scripture passage, I want to bring out several different things. So the first one, if you remember from last week, Jesus went back to Nazareth. And, and was preaching in the synagogue, and he read Isaiah 61, basically laying out his ministry. And so laying, laying out the purpose of him having come. And, and, and they basically were like, hey, we heard about all those things that you're doing at Capernaum, like all the healing and all the teaching in their synagogue. Hey, would you come and do that here too? We want to be entertained. And he's like, the prophet's not accepted in his own country. And they turned against him because he said that the gospel was for everyone and not just for them. And they turned against him, and they like they, they literally tried to kill him. They tried to throw him off a, a, a tall cliff. I've been there. It's very tall, and very dangerous. And so, they, but the, the the contrast now back to Capernaum that they did not grumble against Jesus when he spoke these things or when he healed on the Sabbath. Now it's interesting. We'll see a theme going forward after this that whenever Jesus does anything on the Sabbath, it's like he can't even like talk. They're like, ah, you're working, you're teaching. You know, oh, you're like they always try to catch Jesus in something, but not here. Like we don't see that they're grumbling against Jesus for delivering this demonic, uh, you know, this this uh, demoniac, the unclean demonic spirit that was in this guy. There was an acceptance that was in contrast to Nazareth. Actually, on the other side, if we see, we'll see later that they tried to keep him. They're like, stay with us. The same thing that Nazareth tried, Nazareth tried to do. There was like this overly enthusiastic response of like, we want you to stay here permanently you know, because we love these things. We're, we're worshiping the God. We're not just being entertained by these things. We're accepting you. And even you're know, accepting of you healing and doing work on the Sabbath. But Jesus was like, no, I got to go. Um, so as we see, starting in verse 31, he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee. And so this is where we kind of see Jesus shift the center of his ministry to Capernaum. So Jesus was born in Bethlehem, went down to Egypt for a couple of years, moved up to Nazareth for his his you know adolescent life until he was until he's about 30 years old, and then he moved the center of his ministry to Capernaum. And so many of the stories that we hear in the rest of the Bible are all around Galilee, all around the Sea of Galilee. And then we see these instances of you know in and around Jerusalem. Um, and so 
this is, you know, Luke shows that, again, that Jesus, that is Jesus is highly honored and welcomed. He's a welcomed guest speaker in the synagogue. Not just anyone could speak in the synagogue. You had to be respected. They, they often built these synagogues just so that they could welcome in traveling rabbis. Like they wouldn't teach themselves. They would just read the scriptures. The synagogues were just a place to gather and to read the scriptures and then to host special speakers. People who were you know, the Pharisees or the scribes, these traveling rabbis. If you, if you haven't yet gone and, and done it, you need to go and watch The Chosen. It's on YouTube for free. Uh, there's also an app called The Chosen. It is phenomenal. There's actually a great scene. I was, I was tempted to show this scene here this morning, but I was like, ah, I can't yet. But, but uh, so it's just because it, you know, lot, lot into that decision. But go watch The Chosen. It is fantastic. Um, a great depiction of even this story where Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, uh, which I'll get to here in a little bit. But so 33, we, we see this boom, like right, right out the gate that this man has a demonic spirit. Spiritual warfare, real demonic presence. Now, here's the thing. If we believe the Bible, we can't not believe in the spiritual realm. We can't not believe in the supernatural. That demons really exist. That angels really exist. That all these things, this is a history. It's not just like fun stories that someone decided to put together. Like these things are true fact. That there was a demon-possessed person that came in front of Jesus and was speaking to him. This is a true thing. And this begs the question, do we believe in spiritual warfare today that demons still oppress and possess? Because we've seen in history, yeah, they do. And if you go outside of America, you'll definitely believe that they do. America, for some reason, like has this, like the, 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 the demon possession in, and oppression in, in America is more subversive. It's more underground. Um, but when you go, go to other places like the Dominican Republic and Haiti, where a lot of these, and like in Africa, where a lot of this witchcraft and magic is actually more accepted, demons are a lot more just overt. Like they'll like bring bodies up back up from the dead, possess bodies and like bring them back to life. Because Satan wants to be worshipped. And so this, it's not, it's just, you know, us in America have a weird, are in a weird position because we don't see it as overtly. We see it in like horror movies. You know, you know, you know <laughs> like paranormal, paranormal activity and all these different like creepy little things. But it's so like mysterious. And, you know, then we got, the, of course, like the Bloody Mary game as, as children with the, with the mirror and, you know, What's the what's that other one? Uh, the, not the boogeyman. What's the other one that you like the bees? I can't remember. Ah, all these like think about all the horror movies of demon possession. There's even like shows called like Supernatural about these different kinds of like spirits and you know and demons and like legends and myths and all these things. And so, but they're just not as overt in our country. We 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 just chalk it up to the world of fantasy that demonic possession and oppression is just it's just a, a fantasy that other people in other countries believe in, those less social and, and intelligent people believe in. But this, Jesus is very intelligent, and they appear right in front of him. It was a lot more overt back, back then in their culture, um, even though it's less in our day today. 
So this, this guy, you know, he's basically like saying, he's speaking on, this, this one demon is probably speaking on, on behalf of all the demons in that area because we see it's this we and this us. But then you see at the very end of 34, it says, I know who you are. So there's probably one demon in this guy speaking for the demons in that region. And maybe that's why Jesus moved to that area. Maybe like Capernaum was like the center of the, like the, the spiritual presence, the supernatural demonic presence in that day. And he was going there specifically to give them deliverance. And that's why Jesus set up, set up shop there. And, and like you said, like later on, they were bringing to, bringing to Jesus several people that were demon-possessed. And they were trying to cry out, like, you are the Son of God! He's like, shh, shh, keep on the DL, come on! But so, the, you know, because you know, here's the reality, guys. The demons knew who Jesus was. The demons have a better theology than any of us. Because they see the spiritual reality. They see the angels. They see the presence of, of God and His, His Spirit around us. They see the demonic presence all around us. And they see them losing in areas. And so what do they do in areas where you're losing? You, you, you fight more to win those areas. And there's a spiritual battle going on right now, here, in Belgrade, in the Gallatin Valley. Can I just, there, I just want to take a little short aside. There is something happening in, in the Gallatin Valley. There's church, there are churches coming together in unity. There, are, there is like worship music being written for this valley. There, is, there are things happening. The Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit rumblings in the spiritual realm. There is so much that is going on that I just want you to be aware. God is moving. Aslan is on the move here. Jesus is on the move here in the Gallatin Valley, here in Belgrade. And I don't want us to get distracted keeping the main thing, the main thing. Because remember, the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. The kingdom of God and His righteousness is the main thing. Furthering and, and advancing the kingdom of God is what God has called us for. And that's what Jesus' mission was, to advance the kingdom. But here's the thing. Jesus you know, uh, doesn't want his identity at this point to be known to the, to the world, to the culture. And that's why he says it in verse, verse 35, shut up, <laughs> be silent. It's very emphatic, be quiet. You know, shut your mouth and come out of him. Because if it's start to be, starting to be revealed that he is truly the Messiah, it's cueing all these false understandings of who the Messiah is and supposed to be. As another place in John says, they tried to take Jesus and make him king by force. They tried to force him because of their perceptions of who the Messiah was supposed to be. But Jesus, just like averting being killed, is averting their false understandings and false elevations of kingdomhood to on Jesus. And he says, be silent. Be silent. Come out. Leave. Get out. And we'll get back to that in here in a moment. But it's amazing the authority that Jesus has. Think about authority. Imagine you know you're you're driving down the road, you get pulled over. <laughs> Imagine rolling down your window, the cop comes to your window, shut up and go away. Would that go well for you? Because you have no authority. Now imagine you're the president. And you say, shut up and go away. You think he's gonna go away? Well, I think he is. 
but he because you you don't have authority in that place. You know, think imagine like a police officer, your boss, a judge. You know, this is what we're talking about. Jesus has authority to say, shut up and get out. We don't have to be, this is the power behind this. We don't, you don't have to be powerless like all the people feel in horror movies. Like when you feel like the, the cold chill up your spine, ooh, I'm scared, I'm scared of the demons. You can say, shut up and get out. You have all authority in your house to walk around your house if you feel there's a demonic you know, presence and say, shut up and get out. In the name of Jesus, you are not welcome here. And guess what? I got authority, which we'll get to here in a second. But I have authority because Jesus gave me authority. This authority, this power, is it like they said in verses 36 and 37, amazement came over them all and they were saying to one another, what is this message? For he commands the unclean spirits with what? Authority and power. And they obey. And they get out. They leave. They, leave, they, get, they come out. This is why news of him started to spread. But it's interesting. They didn't say, oh, what is this power? What is this spirit? What is what? What is this message? The power that Jesus had, the authority that Jesus had was in the message. And they were amazed at his message. The message of the kingdom of God, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, this message is powerful. It has power and authority in the unseen realm. It is power and authority. Like Luke, like Jesus said in Luke 10, Luke 10, he said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you this authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and have and, and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. However, don't rejoice that, you're, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is the power of the gospel. And this is where Jesus gives that power to us. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And this is what he uses. He uses this as a way to set up. I've given, been given all this authority, and now I'm giving you this authority to now take this authority and go into all the earth. Go into all the world and proclaim this message. Proclaim this gospel. Wield this power and authority in the unseen realms. How did Jesus expect us to do that? He gave us the Spirit. He gave us His Holy Spirit to battle the unseen spiritual realms. So we have authority because God is in us when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. That is one of the most beautiful things when you come to faith in Jesus. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, as it says right here, that your names are written in heaven. So when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you proclaim faith in Jesus Christ and are baptized into the church, your name is written in heaven where it cannot be erased. In the Lamb's book of life. And He gives you His Holy Spirit. He gives you the Holy Spirit within you. As Jesus said in, in, in John chapter 7, bubbling up to eternal life. It says power and authority. Do you truly believe that you have been given authority? 
Do you believe that you have power because of God's Spirit within you? And how does this faith shift the way that you live? The same power and authority that commanded the demon to get out is the same power that brings healing. It's not just to, to battle against the enemy. It's also to battle for people. It's to battle for friends. It's to battle for your coworkers, for your family. And this is where we see that it's shifting uh, in, in 38 through 44. This is restoring Peter's mother-in-law um, to health in the sense of, you know, this, what he did here was not just restore her to physical, physical, you know, flourishing, but also to mental and emotional flourishing because it was an honor for the mother to, to serve the household. And that was one of the cool, coolest things about the video clip in the chosen. I should have, I, I should have showed it. Sorry. I should have done it. I, we'll watch it. I'll, I'll get it up on the screen later. If you want to watch it after service, it's really cool. But <laughs> she like immediately, the fever, the fever leaves her and she like, what am I doing here in bed? So I gotta, gotta get up. And she like throws her shawl on. She's like, hey, do it. your friend want, like goat cheese? And she's like immediately back, like springing, springing into action. Energy just filling her. Healing. Restoration. It's not just about not being a drunk. It's not just not about, you know, being, you know, uh, demon possessed and, 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 you know, being spiritually oppressed. It's about bringing healing. It's about bringing flourishing, about bringing joy and peace and hope to our lives. That's Jesus' ministry here. Uh, that, that's the whole point of, of Psalm uh, 91 and, t- and 92. The whole point of Isaiah 53 is that these things reveal that He's the Messiah that can bring healing, restoration, protection, flourishing to our lives in the midst of garbage, in the midst of pandemics, in the midst of death, and evil, and breakdown of God's shalom. Moving on in, in verse 40, it says, when the sun was setting. So this concept of, of setting, the setting sun, this is the end of the Sabbath. As we saw that all of this stuff in the, in the synagogue happens during the Sabbath, which the Sabbath is the seventh day of rest. So this is one of the, the Ten Commandments that God institutes. Is that on you know you you shall work six days and on the seventh day you shall rest from all your work. Don't work, don't do anything. Just chill out and enjoy the day. Rest. We we just we this is we've been te- teaching the the commandments to my son, and so he remembers this one. I'm like Jackson, this is the one that you need to remind me of. You need to remind me to take a day off and spend it with you, because sometimes I'll just work 50, 60 hours throughout throughout the week um, because there's a lot to be done. And I'll just, I'll forget to rest. And so I'm like, Jackson, you need to remind me. Remind Daddy. Rest. It's a gift. And so these people took it seriously. So they waited until the end of the Sabbath, which for them was sundown. So their, their days were sundown, sundown to sundown. Um, so rest. Rest in Jesus. The Sabbath day. Um, and, you know, and so you know, Jesus you know, had been healing um, on the Sabbath. Uh, which will basically, like you said, will become a point of contention. But for now, um, the precedent for the people, at least, was they waited. They're like, we have all these people that need to come to Jesus, but we are going to abide by the law, and we're going to wait. Um, 
And so, but it's, it's amazing. So to, to end it out, so this is Jesus's um, practice. And this, this, first, you know, this first part is basically setting up the rest of Jesus's ministry, setting the precedent for Jesus healing, setting the precedent for Jesus um, exercising and, and, and casting out demons. He lays hands. You know, basically like this, this imagery of my hands go out because of that word compassion. Jesus having, having compassion. The word compassion means that my heart goes out. Do you know that? The word compassion is love going out. My heart goes out to you. We've heard, we've heard that phrase before. That is what compassion means. So as Jesus' heart goes out to people, so it follows with his hands going out to the people to restore and bring healing. Um, and so the core of Jesus' ministry um, and message, his, his message, his, ministry, his mission and his ministry, um, all these things, oh, yeah, the same power to rebuke healing. Yeah. So three central themes of Jesus' ministry. Jesus' message. And we talk about the message of the kingdom, the message of the gospel, the message of, now for us, the gospel is Jesus' death and burial and resurrection to save us from our sins and to restore us, not just to restore us to shalom, but also to fill us with his Holy Spirit. So if, you're, if you are possessed with God's Holy Spirit, you can't be possessed by other spirits. That's, that's, that's very true and very real. That once you come to faith in Jesus and you are filled with his Holy Spirit, you are now, like you said, I'm almost pretty much immune to possession. You're immune to the spiritual possession. We can still be oppressed by spiritual warfare, but we cannot be possessed and overcome by it. You know, take, you know, he said, take heart for I have overcome the world. You are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus our Lord. So Jesus' message of the kingdom, this mental flourishing, the gospel message. Number two, Jesus' mission. Jesus' mission was warfare. You think about you know, military, you think of a mission. What do you think of a mission? What is a mission? You go in to rescue or to destroy something or someone, destroy this, you know, my, my grandfather was a, my pappy, was a pilot in World War II. He was a pilot of a B-24 bomber. And uh, I went and he actually like sent me this whole list of all of the, the, the bombings that he did, all the missions, the missions of warfare. And I went and Googled those and I found pictures. And mostly they're like, you know, train yards. They're like blowing up train yards. And it's crazy that I can go back and see pictures before and after of these cities. I'm like, wow, my, my pappy did that. My pappy flew the plane that dropped that bomb right there. I don't really know if it's that bomb, but because there are a lot of them. But I can go back and see the mission. And guess what? That mission was successful. They destroyed those things. How do we know? We won the war. Jesus' mission was spiritual warfare to unleash his wrath on the spiritual realm. And then his ministry of healing his healing people's lives, this physical and emotional healing that Jesus brought to them. Here's the question that I have for us this morning. As, as, we're, as we're reading this passage of Scripture, the question is, does Jesus' mission, I'm sorry, message, mission, and ministry have authority 
in your life? Does Jesus have a say in your life? Or are we just living by our comforts? Are we just living by what is natural? Oh, just coincidence. Or do we see the spiritual reality going on? Do we see the message? Is the message deep down in our hearts of life and joy and flourishing? Or is it the spirit of religion that says, do this, don't do that. And if you do this or don't do that, then you're a bad person and you're a bad Christian and you're probably actually you know, separated from God until you repent. Versus the gospel that says, when you come to faith in Jesus and are filled with his, with filled with his spirit, you are healed. You are restored. He has forgiven all of your sins, past, present, and future. And we in turn can thank him for his forgiveness and yearn and press in for that deliverance over the physical things. Because we have power and authority over them. You have power over addictions. You have authority over false truths that are being preached to you. You are not that which you struggle with. It's not yours. It's not yours as if it's your possession. You are not your struggle. You are not. Your identity is not found in that which is in your, is in your mind. Your identity is in Christ. As the squirt even says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. This is the mystery hidden before all ages. The, the redemption, the, the healing of the world. What is it? Christ in you. That is who you are. That is your identity. And that is the gospel that Jesus came to proclaim to us. Change your mind about who you are and whose you are. And believe. Believe who you are. Believe who God has said you are. Believe in Jesus. Believe in God. Believe in the kingdom of heaven. And that's why these things are our central themes. Our message is the kingdom. Our mission is spiritual warfare. And our ministry is healing. Bringing healing to each other's minds and our thinking, our identities in Christ, reminding each other of who we are in Christ, reminding each other of who we are and the love that God has for us. The radical grace, the amazing radical grace that would forgive you for all of your sins. So you don't have to worry, God, am I still good? God, I just did this stupid thing. God, I went back into there. God, I fell off the rails. I fell off the wagon. Do you still love me? And God's message is a resounding, yes. Come and curl up in my lap because I love you. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are mine. You are my beloved. There's nothing in all this creation that could ever even dare to try to separate you from my love. That is who you are. And that is the ministry that we've been given one to another. And the ministry of reconciliation and healing for those outside the church to bring them in and to see them come to faith. That is your ministry, saint. That is your ministry, brother and sister in Christ. To go and proclaim this gospel, the message. Our message is the kingdom. Go and proclaim the message to your coworkers, to your friends, to your family, to the random cashier, to the person that you see struggling in the coffee shop or in the restaurant. 
being willing to stop everything you're doing to pray for someone. Don't see ministry as an inconvenience to your life, but see it as your life. Your life is one of ministry. Because that same compassion that compelled Jesus to wield his power and authority for restoration is that same power that drives us, that same compassion drives us to wield the authority of Christ to bring the flourishing of his kingdom to this world, to your workplace. Because remember, compassion compels us to restoration. That's compassion. My heart going out, my spirit going out because that's Jesus's heart. I want to wrap up with, with this thought. Spiritual warfare is real. How do I know that? These last two weeks, we've been fighting it. A very real spiritual warfare. But G, you know, Jesus wants to bring unity to his church. Jesus wants to bring love and working together. But there's a spirit of fear. The spirits that we battle here at, at Shift Church are fear, distraction, division, anger. These, these things have been very deeply embedded. But what is the hope? What is the counter to that? What do we pray into? Well, instead of fear, we pray for boldness. Instead of distraction, we, we pray for devotion. Instead of division, we, share, we, we pray for unity. We, we seek after and pursue unity. Instead of anger, we pursue peace, gentleness, kindness. All these things boil down to having faith, being faithful to God, having hope that He is faithful to us, and love. As it says, the, last, the, the three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is agape, is love. That devotion, that steadfast devotion to Christ and to one another. We walk in the light. And because we walk in the light, we are not afraid. There is no fear. When you walk in the light, as he is in the light, you walk in boldness. You walk in confidence in Christ. You walk in your power and you walk in your authority. What if you walk into a room and you feel like it's kind of, kind of, you can say, get out, demon, in the name of Jesus Christ, and I pray healing and peace on this. I mean, so much so that now my wife and I are like praying over furniture that we're bringing into our house from the thrift store. Because we don't know what happened with that object. We don't know what happened around that, that object. Like, no, we're going to pray the, the peace of God over it. So that as we bring it into our house, we're bringing in this thing that we can wield for God's kingdom. For God's glory. We will not be afraid. We will walk in our authority as sons and daughters of the King. Sons of Adam and sons of Eve in Aslan. And the authority of the Emperor beyond the sea. Of our great Father to advance His kingdom rule and reign in this world. To advance His gospel message, even if it costs us our freedom and our lives. To proclaim freedom, healing, and restoration. 
having that compassion that Jesus had for this, this unclean, you know, this, this demon-possessed man and for Peter's mother-in-law and for all those who were brought to him for healing. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe that's you. you you're like, Jesus, I need your healing. I need your compassion, God. Would you heal me? Would you deliver me from the, from, from the spirits? Would you deliver me from death? Would you deliver me from even myself? I believe in the gospel. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you died, and but you didn't stay dead. That I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that where you are, Jesus, I want to be also. I want to be in your presence for all eternity. If that's you this morning, I would I would welcome you. During during this next time, we're gonna, I'm going to be up here in the front. Come and, and I'd love to have a conversation with you. If you have more questions about Jesus or how you can make Him the Lord of your life, how you can receive freedom and receive God's Holy Spirit upon you and be baptized, I would love to have a conversation with of what it means to come to faith in Jesus Christ and what it means to be a Christian. And for us believers to have that compassion that compels you to bring restoration to your life, the church life, the world around us. You may lose friends. You may lose family. You may lose favor. You may even lose a job. But I adjure you, have compassion as Jesus had compassion. That compels you to action. Jesus, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the words of life that you have given us in your, in your scripture, Lord. We thank you for the example that Jesus set before us. And Lord, we pray that power in our lives today. We pray, Lord Jesus, you are empowering us with the gospel message, the gospel mission of warfare against the enemy, advancing your kingdom, and Lord, that we would live out your ministry of healing and restoration to bring uh, flourishing shalom to our lives and to the lives of those around us. Because, it's, because the gospel is hope. And no matter what's going on in our lives, God, your gospel is hope. Your kingdom is joy and peace. So God, I pray that you would bring all those who are li listening to this message, Lord, into that peace, into that hope, into that joy, into that message of the gospel, into your kingdom life here on this earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.